Welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're so honored that you're joining us today. The word Kalos is a poorly pronounced Greek word that means beautiful. And we believe here at Kalos that the words and the ways of Jesus are very beautiful. That's why each week we're bringing content to make known that beauty. So let's go ahead and jump right in to this last Sunday's sermon. Okay. So interesting thing is we talk about the Beatitudes. I love that it supersedes any geopolitical standing. It supersedes uh, any point of view that doesn't include the entire communion of saints. It really is an invitation for all God's people for all time. This wasn't contextual when we think of some of the New Testament minor books, you know, uh, any, any of the books that Paul wrote, when we really got to hone in on the context and see, okay, does this still apply for today? Like for women in leadership or some of these things that we might look and be like, you know what, we need to dig deeper and see what, what does this say in light of Jesus? But today is so different because it's for all time, for all God's people. So we really can take it at its word. But when we dig in of how early, the early church had to live this out, I think we might uh, have, a, have a little sobering moment as we do so. But I want to start, um, first start with this, is the famed British Bible scholar in the 1800s, Charles Spurgeon. And it, the Beatitudes were so near and precious to him, especially when he was coming under crazy criticism from peers and telling him he was not of God and he was just trying to invite people into the goodness of the gospel. And so what his wife Susanna did was she printed out all eight Beatitudes and posted them on the ceiling above their bed. So as he was laying at night, because you know you get real stir crazy like 9 p.m. on, you're like, don't read the news, should have done that this morning. Why do we do this to ourselves? Why do we just sit and we stew over everything that's going wrong? 3 p.m. we're like, the world's my oyster. 9 p.m. we're like, I'm gonna die, this is so awful, what, why is life so hard? And so as he's laying there, when the demons come for him at night, when the foul thoughts come for us, he had the Beatitudes reminding him. And isn't it so beautiful that the first seven naturally lead to the eighth. The first seven, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who are truly seeking the kingdom, because guess what? This idea of blessed are the persecuted, you know what this really means? It was blessed are those who would seek equality and meekness and holiness. And how wild that when we pursue the ways of Jesus, that that's offensive. That would be offensive to anyone who isn't in tune with the goodness and the grace and the mercy of Jesus. It becomes such a, 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 such a foul taste in others' mouth when they haven't tasted and seen. Isn't that wild? That pursuing peace, peace is the first thing that we pursue in the kingdom, to be a non-anxious, non-anxious presence in the world. That that would evoke such attack. Isn't that wild? So the, I love how the seven naturally lead into the eighth. And so here we are, a week post-Easter, which I'm sure a lot of these volunteer teams are like, I'm tired, give me a five minutes, and we're going to get back into it this Sunday. Because this idea of persecution in the aftermath of the resurrection is so timely because that's when the pressure cooker was on, was after that early church started. So this was naturally a message that would come into play, Jesus' words, right after the resurrection. 
So it's perfect, perfect timing to talk about this because when we talk about the persecuted church or uh, blessed are the persecuted, we aren't talking about like these fights on Facebook that have like 112 comments and yeah. 16 shares, like or 116 shares. We're not talking about Facebook jail. We're not talking about little quarrels online where no one's gonna come like set your house on fire, okay? And we're also not talking about blessed are the persecuted. I'm under attack. I'm a Christian under attack. This Christian nationalism, which the Christian nationalism point of view is grappling for institutional power to impose their ways on everyone, okay? And we're not after that either. That's not what we're talking about. So I can't talk about the persecuted unless we lay the groundwork of what it is not. Because I don't want you to mishear and think I'm that girl who's like posting on the Facebook about all these troublesome, meddlesome things that really embarrass Jesus. We're not out to embarrass nobody. We're out to pursue peace. And trust me, that'll ruffle feathers all on its own. Okay? That'll ruffle feathers all on its own. So with that said, I want you to think of that imagery of what does it, why would someone be persecuted in the first place for their faith, for following Jesus? It was because they would be promoting peace, championing righteousness and holiness, living a life of gentleness and meekness, and that has invited the opposition. Wow. Open Doors, which uh, studies and tracks the persecuted church worldwide, they said, when you think of the persecuted church, we want you to think of this. Think of a woman in India as she watches as her sister is dragged off by Hindu nationalists. She doesn't know if her sister is alive or dead. A faithful man in North Korea prison camp is shaken awake after being beaten unconscious. A group of children in children's church are laughing and talking as they come down to their church sanctuary after eating together. Instantly, many of them are killed by a bomb blast. It's Easter Sunday in Sri Lanka. In this last year alone, in the last 12 months, almost 6,000 Christians have been killed for their faith. A uh, little over 5,000 churches have been bombed or attacked or, or, or taken by gunfire. And nearly 5,000 believers, followers of Jesus, have been detained without trial, without sentencing, and they've been imprisoned without any way or pathway to freedom. Wow. So... Already, more Christians have... Oh, I got chills, and it comes on my... It starts on my head first because I've been shaving my arms lately, so now my arm hair doesn't stand up, so it's now just my head, and I got chills. So what we're seeing here is... Y'all, I'm hairy. You know what? My really big dream in life is to be a hairless cat, but that's not going to happen because I am who I am. Carry on. So what we see here is that more Christians have died for their faith in the last century than any time before. Now... You may not be persecuted for your faith in your daily life, in the next year, in the next 10 years. But the idea is, would you be willing? Would you be willing? Because it's interesting when we pull apart this word persecuted, which we'll do here in a minute, and understand that it actually meant a willingness to be persecuted. Not that you would. It's a would you be willing? Would you be willing? But... I'm certain that all of us are familiar with suffering for following Jesus and suffering for living a life that you thought was going to be not anything that it's turned out to be. When you think of the collective trauma in the last two years, I can't even imagine. Add that on top of the individual languishing that we each go through, the private pain that you don't want to share with nobody, we could sink a ship. I could take a path if you need to. <laughs> because life is hard. 
We take blow after blow after blow, coming 99 miles per hour, like that kid in Little Giants, and we just wonder, God, why? Why? Why is this the life? And our own lived experience debunks the prosperity narrative that many of us might be familiar with or really hoped that would be when we follow Jesus. I once was this, but now I'm this. Look how great everything is. And even in the church, this is for free. This wasn't in my notes. Even in the church, we'll let people suffer, but we'll put an expiry date on that because then you're weird. Like, no, you better get it together. You got about 90 days. And then you better not be that girl. You better not be that guy. We don't invite this collective suffering, yet it's the final beatitude saying this will be a rhythm. Not every day, not every day, and we'll get into that in a minute. There's times of, there's times of goodness, there's times of abundance, but then there is that time of suffering. We experience those simultaneously as well. Sometimes one, sometimes the other, sometimes both at the same time, which I think is awful. <laughs> so we can all agree that suffering isn't something the human spirit prefers. Is that, can we all agree on that? Yeah. We can all co-sign? Okay. Some of us drown it out. Yeah. Or we're just so happy and positive that we don't want to admit when things are going poorly. That's me. It takes me a minute to catch up because I'm so positive that that overuse of that strength becomes my greatest weakness. Maybe you're like that as well. Some of us tend to believe we're failures if we're suffering. We blame ourselves rather than understanding it's the human condition. Some of us blame God, thinking that if he was good, if he was fair and he was kind, he would not allow suffering. You've had two gals on the stage who were left for dead and God showed up. So if you can hear it from us, I'm sure you can believe it. I'm sure you can explore that it just might be true. Jesus invites us to think differently about suffering We are not to suffer like the world suffers. In fact, it will be our greatest witness, how we suffer well. How we suffer well. And I know, again, no one is a stranger. So as we process through this passage that I'm about to read, I know I've been too much prelude. We're going to get into it. Don't worry. I want you to find yourself in the story. I want you to find yourself in the story of God in such a way that you can't deny that he's moving collectively and in you personally. Here we go. Matthew 5 starting in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Using that language of even kingdom would have been a little bit hostile at a time when there was kingdoms. You're saying you're going to inherit a kingdom? Who are you? You are poor. You have no rights. You are as low as a slave. And you're telling that this person's going to inherit the kingdom because of their faithfulness? Not because of their allegiance or nationalism, but their faithfulness to Jesus? Ooh, then be fighting words. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you. He didn't say if people insult you. When people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets before you. So the word persecuted here means to pursue or to chase. Persecuted feels heavy, doesn't it? The the persecution. That's a heavy word. But I want you to also think this idea that you'd be chased, you would be pursued because of your faith. 
that is also very valuable and a great, great way to look at it. And there was times, again, of this goodness where Christians had nothing to fear for their lives. But then as Christianity spread, as it became a threat to the way of the nationalism at that time, that's when it got really sticky. That's when it got real, real sticky and there was problems that each and every Christian faced. And we're talking about uh, uh, men, women, and children were taken advantage of and persecuted. Again, it's a passive participle. So it means you would be willing to allow yourself to be persecuted. So blessed are the persecuted. Doesn't mean blessed are those who have been persecuted. Blessed are those who would be willing to be persecuted for theirs is the kingdom. What does that mean? It's saying, blessed are those who refuse to let anything take number one except Jesus. Blessed are those who are willing to have Jesus plus nothing will equal everything. That is what the invitation is in this passage. Okay, so I want us to think about the first century here in this patriarchal hierarchy where the rich were getting richer, the poor were getting poor, everybody is separated by religion, by, by geopolitical affiliation, everybody's separated into these groups and you cannot cross-pollinate, you cannot go be, you cannot, you have to know your place in life because this is who you are and you're never gonna rise above it. You are told. It is the ancient caste system, if you will. And then, the kingdom of God comes and shakes it all upside down and said, you're co-heirs with Christ? You're co-heirs with Christ? We're talking about a time where uh, emperors and leaders and kings would erect statues of themselves 50 feet tall and saying, this is what the image of God looks like. Yeah, right. And then they're saying, no, 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 no. The image of God is in you and you are co-heirs. You get to co-lead. You have agency. This was liberation. This was liberation emotionally, relationally, politically, socially. This was a new kingdom that they had never heard of. So what do we gather from this first? To suffer is to follow Jesus. Now here's where I get um, a little, a little, mm, um, I gotta take it to the throne. And I'm like, Jesus, I need to have a word. Is this. What happens to us when we do everything right and we followed all the rules and we heard Jesus and we said yes and we did and then we encounter the worst suffering of our lives? I'm sure church planters can account for that. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about though. Uh, In my own life, my husband, as you saw from our very multi-ethnic family there that no one knows to make sense of and I have a very white name so people really confuse when I show up in the room. But... uh, when we uh, chose to adopt, we, we felt led. We felt like the Lord was asking us to take home two little boys, and we came home with one. And as we were wrapping up the adoption process abroad, our, our second little boy had lived with us for three months. And it isn't like a foster situation where you're not sure. You know, sometimes you're, you're unsure how things are going to end up. No, baby showers have been had. Pictures on the wall. We're ready to do this. I'm ready to be a mom of two. Zero to two. I have no idea what I'm doing. No, I read a lot of books. It's okay. And then at the very end, due to circumstances far outside of our control, we had to put him back in the orphanage where we could hear him screaming and crying as we drove away. And as we got home, my husband and I went through post-traumatic stress therapy because it was deep. Out of all the things in life, I had never experienced such traumatic pain. 
And our therapist explained to us, your body and your brain is processing this like a kidnapping because there's no room for the human brain to process what you just went through. And I remember thinking, Lord, I did what you asked. Why am I going through the worst moment here? I'm sitting in therapy having to deal with this outrageous trauma when all I wanted to do was be a mom. All I wanted to do was say yes to you. This was your idea. Yet here I am with a limp feeling like I, I don't know what to do now. Is this what you do to people who say yes to you? It gets harder? And depending on the conditions of your faith, when you said yes to Jesus, you might have thought the complete opposite was going to happen. You might have thought it would be smooth sailing. God is able. He can do anything. But he said, take up your cross and follow me. It was literal. It was literal. This is what it means. Come follow me means come die with me. What? I think that's where the rubber hits the road. But can I tell you something? I don't know that I trust anybody who hasn't suffered a little bit. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. Somebody who hasn't seen the dark night of the soul, who hasn't lived through it. But I'm convinced there's things that are only accessed through suffering. Yeah. There's only lessons learned yeah. through the dark. You don't find those in the light. Those gems are deep, deep down in the cave where they've had time to develop. When we sit with the darkness and when we sit with the suffering, we're not going to be worse off. Because here's the thing, we are conditioned for security. We are wired. We all struggle to, 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 to not serve the idol of security. You want gas in your car. You want it to be charged before you drive off. Yeah. You want to make sure you've got enough money to get from here to there to next. You want comfort. You want predictability. We all do. We all crave that. We all crave that rhythm. And so when that is shaken, we have to then reckon with what it means to follow Jesus when that was the whole thing we signed up for, right. is this intimate understanding with suffering. And not only to not suffer and have the response that the rest of the world has, but to suffer well. Right. Mm. Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, 3, he says, endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, as a follower of Christ Jesus. This is part of it. You know, as we suffer, we do not suffer in isolation. We do not see our suffering as a punishment. It's not a punishment. Did you hear that? Your hard times, you didn't deserve this. This is part of the human experience. Suffering is what binds us all together. You did not do something wrong or bad. You are beloved as you are, and God is near you, and he is for you all. And as we endure that suffering, not only do we come and offer our scars just as Jesus did after he resurrected to Thomas, we then offer and we invite others in to show them how to suffer well, to show them that they're beloved at every step of the way. Recently, I accepted a position to oversee refugee resettlement at World Relief for Western Washington. I've been working from home for the past seven years, writing and speaking full-time. I've written five books in five years. And... My first time back in a full-time office is helping settle these 100,000 UK refugees, and which many of them are putting in to live here in Western Washington because there's already so, so, so many settled here for the past 30 years. And uh, on my first day during my orientation, um, one of the other directors, he looked at me and said, you are gonna see the worst the world has to offer. 
This is the darkest. The only, they're only here because there's no way home. There's no way to return. So when you sit and when you see, you think of Esther. You think of remembering that deliverance will come from somewhere. And we're stepping up to the plate. We're stepping up. Why? Not because we're perfect. Not because we got it together. Because we will walk alongside them in their suffering to the light. This is what it means to suffer with Jesus, is walking along others to the light. Second, we don't suffer alone. Philippians 3.10 says, I, ooh, I will tattoo this on my forehead. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Yeah. I want to know Christ. I want to say, during the time that this was written, I want to give a little more context to what was happening and why this would be written in Philemon. Excuse me, in Philippians. In Philippians. I had a short note in my hair. It's, it, during the Roman times, uh, persecution grew to startling heights. And under Nero, uh, Christians were lit as torches to light the gardens at his dinner parties. Christians had meat tied around to their midsection and sent into an amphitheater, amphitheater with dogs chasing them and eating them until they were raw and bloodied and people were cheering. It was a blood sport to watch Christians suffer and die because they refused to bow to Nero. Many of the Roman emperors believed that they were deities, that they were gods. And in fact, they would allow the peoples that they had conquered in, in neighboring lands and in their own to worship other gods only if they had a certificate that they had on their person at all times that said, you first will worship me. You will first worship me and then you can go worship your other gods because of course, you know, worshiping many gods at one time was very common in that day, very, very common. And in many uh, religions today, that's still a, a normal practice. But, but as believers, we, we committed to worshiping one God. So our mothers and fathers of the faith, they refused to carry that certificate. And that's when this was written. I want to know Christ because they refused to carry that certificate. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to sign that. I'm not going to carry that. And if you were found to not have that certificate on you or have it in your home that you could present it, think of it like a driver's license. It always had to be readily to show. Then they knew, I'm going to know the power of his resurrection because I know what's true. I saw it myself. And that's my plot in life too, is a resurrection. But I'm going to know that participation in his sufferings. And that was some of the ways they suffered, brutally, brutally suffered. And before they would end up in an amphitheater or lit up as garden lights, they would first have all of their property taken, their children beaten in front of them. All of these hellacious acts, beating them, draining their bank accounts, taking their food, ostracizing them for their neighbors, putting them in, them camp, in, in torture camps. And then, if they still refused, which so, so many of them did, that's what would happen. That is the faith we walk in. That is our heritage when we talk about this willingness to be persecuted. Lastly, suffering invites praise. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 16 says, Beloved, beloved. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, rejoice insofar as you are sharing Christ's 
sufferings that you may also be glad and shout for joy when his glory is revealed. What I say, I said it's our greatest witness. Verse 14, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory, which is the spirit of God, is resting on you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, a criminal, or even as a mischief maker. I love that they had to add that. They knew, they knew about us. They knew who was showing up to church today. Yet if any of you suffers as a Christian, do not consider it a disgrace. Do not consider it a disgrace, but, glory, but glorify God because you bear his name. You see, it's a promotion in the kingdom when you suffer. That's a promotion. When you speak truth to power, when you're unwilling to allow others to be treated in a way that is not God-honoring, and you're willing to step in, when you're willing to stand up for goodness and equity, it's not always going to be faith as we know. It's so specific, right? When you stand up in your workplace, when you stand up in your family, when you stand up and say no, this is awful, but we're not going to stand for this. And you're going to worship and you're going to praise. After we lost our precious little Lucius that we had um, right before we came home, I used to sing and I would just sing until the pain would subside enough that I could go do the next thing. You did not create me to worry. You did not create me to fear. You created me to worship daily. So I'm going to leave it all right here. Think about those times when praise, just a prayer, maybe even a prayer under your breath, or maybe musical praise, where praise sustained you. Isn't that wild? Did you know the wires in your brain are altered when you pray? Who you become is physiologically changed as you worship, as you praise. When you refuse to be defined by your circumstance or by your suffering, but you instead choose to be defined as a beloved child of God. That's what we can do. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is, on, one member is honored, all rejoice together. I close with that to remind us that we are all in this together. We don't ignore the suffering of our brother and sister just because we don't know how to handle pain. We choose emotional intelligence. We choose empathy. We choose to grow up. We choose to lean in, not blame, not refuse, not blame God or blame ourselves or feel like a failure. We choose to come with open hands and open hearts and praise. You know, the gospel isn't attractive to those who don't know him unless it meets him in his suffering. They don't need cool coffee and cool music, although you have both. And I just want to say that's really great and I love it and I'm really here for it. But I'm just saying, do you, when people are suffering and when they're going through the hardest time, Jesus becomes the most attractive thing. And how are they going to know? Because they're going to watch how you're suffering. Everyone's watching. But more of us are watching now than ever before because of the interwebs. Would they watch and would they not see a false gospel? Would they not see nationalism? Would they see Jesus who died and rose again so we could know life? So we could know that we're not alone. If he's coming for one of 26 million orphans in India in the mid 80s, he coming for you. You know what I'm saying? That's the God you serve. He comes for you. He comes for you in your suffering by the power of the Holy Spirit. So with every eye closed and with every head bowed, Jesus,
We say thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are near to the suffering. We thank you that these beatitudes, they were not lip service. You said the kingdom was ours. We sit as co-heirs, as co-creators of goodness, of human renewal, of human flourishing. If you're here this morning and you don't want to walk through your suffering alone, you want to surrender to the one who will hold your hand, who's working in the shadows on your behalf, whether you knew it or not. Because let me tell you, he was working before you said yes to him. But if you want to awaken to the goodness of God in your life, in today's your day, with every eye closed, you can pop up a hand. We want to pray for you. I see that hand. Oh, Jesus, we celebrate that the kingdom just added one more. One more to say yes to you, to bring all of themselves to you. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Would you be with us? Would you speak over us a new song in this season? One where we may suffer, but we will suffer well. We will rejoice. We will say thank you. Come what may. We will weather this with you. To you be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for the Kalos Church Podcast. Hey, if you feel comfortable, we would love to see you and meet you in person. We meet at 945 and 1130 every Sunday at the Hilton Garden Inn in downtown Bellevue. If you want to join us, head to www.kalos.church. You can get all the information you need and sign up so we can make sure there's a safe place for you to come and experience the beauty of Jesus with you. We'll see you next time.